Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. God has led me to teach on this series to equip you to glorify God through the biblical means of getting, guarding, and giving your money. I want you to glorify the Lord through the biblical means, not the way you think you should do it. I want to make sure that it's from Scripture. Now, the way you think you should do it may very well be in agreement with Scripture, then we'll celebrate it. If it's not, then we have to repent, which means to change our thinking, okay, and get back into what Scripture has to say here. Now, that's just my introductory remark. I'll give you one main statement, and then we will just blast through this list of eight. It won't take long, but it'll get you started on understanding your finances. Our first subject is on understanding your finances and the overall principle. That's the biggest lesson of all to learn under that title, understanding your finances, is this. It is not our finances. It is God's finances. And you can take that quote to the bank. Excuse the pun. It is not our finances. It is God's finances. And if you would take only one thing away from today's message, if you're a believer in Christ, that you would take that phrase, that whatever I have really belongs to the Lord. And once I have that, it gives me now the platform upon which I can build all my decision-making process regarding the use and perhaps, unfortunately, the misuse of funding. So if you want to retitle this message, you could just simply call it Understanding Finances. I called it understanding your finances to kind of hook you into this, but now I want you to know it's really understanding finances. So let's go to number one, shall we? These are here. I'm loading you up with a lot of verses and no sub-points so that you can spend a great deal of your own time going over these verses yourself. Number one is all money and resources belong to God, and He can do what He wants with it. So in your own mind now, you're engaging this. All money and resources all of it, ours, others, the whole world, everything belongs to God. And he can do with it whatever he wants. Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So we have to at least begin to realize that whatever we have, whatever is out there, it belongs to God. So if there's anything we can do today is I'd like you to um, take whatever finances and resources you have and unlock the chains that you have. And now you're going to give them at least emotionally back to the Lord. This is huge. You're going to take whatever that you have that you, for whatever reason, you're so conscientious with what you have and perhaps bought into the fact that I work for this. This is mine. How many times have you used that in an argument at home? This is mine. I work for it. I can do what I want with it. I get all of that. There's a degree of responsibility attached to that concept. But emotionally, though, we have to realize that spiritually it still all belongs to God. Now, giving that to you now in one minute... For some of you, that's going to be a lesson that's going to take a long time to get deep within your heart so you can make your decisions properly and understand the the reason to enjoy what you have and then to use it properly. So all money, all resources belong to God, and He can do whatever He wants with it. Deuteronomy 8.18, at the beginning of verse 18, it says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you power to make wealth. I want to unpack that but because this fits really good with another sermon I'm going to give. I'm not going to give you the, the, the total background of all of this, but I wanted you to have it here. For some of you that know your Bible, if you needed a biblical illustration of someone who finally realized that all things belong to God, it would be Job. He started out as a very wealthy man. 
He had flocks, he had herds, he had a large family. In my opinion, he had plenty of wealth. In addition to that, I believe if he had all of that with all the flocks and herds, he had to have a lot of land. So we would say that Job was a very wealthy person. Through a system of God testing Job and revealing Job's heart to Job and maybe the others that were around him, the Lord permitted Satan to do a number on Job except take Job's life. Job comes back through all of this. And he says again, naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked will I return thither, blessed be the name of the Lord. Basically saying, you know, I came into this world naked, I'm going out basically naked, you are in control, everything you have belongs to you, God. That's the tacit understanding of that passage. Job had that, and as tough as it was to watch his children die, his herds and flocks gone, even endure some harassment from his wife, it was tough for him, that persecution, that affliction. He never lost his mooring. And at the end of all of that, God chose in Job's life to double all that he lost. So he got twice as much after he went through all of that. Number two, money is a gift from God. Money is a gift from God. So at least if you see it as a gift, then you won't see it as it's a responsibility. God's got to do this, you know. No, it's a gift from him. And Moses cautioned the people not to forget that truth. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to look at this verse for a moment. If you will, turn to Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 for a moment. While you're turning there, I'm going to read the passage, make one or two comments, and then we'll move on to the next. But listen carefully. Um, Moses is now speaking to the children of Israel. The children of Israel have spent 40 years in the wilderness. Moses is about ready to leave the scene, and the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, that land that flowed with milk and honey. And what he's basically doing is he's setting them up, reminding them, saying, when you were in the wilderness, everything you got had to come from me. Basically, in the context, would be food and liquid. So they got manna from heaven. They got water from a rock. They were so desperate, and God provided for them. Now, using that as a reminder, he says, remember what happened then. Now, as you go into the promised land, get ready, because you don't want to forget that when you go in the promised land. Now... In our mind, that's kind of, huh? That doesn't make sense. Why do I need God to give me water and manna or food? Because in the promised land, I'm going to have so much of it out there. Remember those guys are carrying all the grapes on this, pole, on this stick? There was so much it was weighing them down because there was so much there. And listen, I have to worry about it. God took care of us there. He doesn't have to take care of us here. Look, this land's got it all. That being said, this is where we are now in Acts chapter, I mean, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. P- beginning at verse 11. Moses... <clears throat> says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Which means that when you get into the promised land, how easy it is to forget what the Lord has done for you in the past because you have all of this. Now stay with me. In order for them not to forget what the Lord has done in the past, what they need to do in the promised land is remember that they still have a responsibility to obey a God to whom they're going to be accountable for everything that they have. Now, that's a lesson to me that even in my prosperity, I need to remember, I need to be keeping his word, centering down on God, intimate with the Lord, moment by moment with him. Everything is about God, even in all this prosperity, because if I don't do that, I will forget God and I will become a worldly mind view. Okay, so let's go back to the passage. So then he says in verse 12, Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied in the promised land, and if you built good houses and lived in them, which sounds like all of us here in Hawaii, and when your herds and your flocks are multiplying and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, that means whatever you went in with, you hardly had anything. When you got there, it just kind of exploded in growth. Then your heart will become proud, which is at the root of not keeping his word and forgetting the Lord. 
You'll become proud. You'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Kind of really hits them over the head. Remember what Egypt was like. Kind of, because I know you're kind of older now. You're really young then because all your dads and moms died in the wilderness. And out of the house of slavery, remember that. Your parents were in slavery and you were enslaved with your parents. Remember these things. And then verse 15, he said, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness, reminding them how bad it was. And then he says, With its fiery serpents and scorpions. Let's pause for a moment. I have not met very many women today who don't shriek when they see a scorpion. I remember when I was recording in South Florida, I was married less than a year, and we were in the recording studio. I was 19 at the time. We got married young. We were pure. No problem there. We got married young. Not advising that you all do that. But anyway, I got a call during the recording session, and Carol's saying, come on, come on, come on. She's screaming. I, I, what, what? You got to come home right now. So I went to the group that was recording with me, a message that was heard on the on the. Um, anyway, so I got home and Carol, my sweet wife of 21, see, when you're 19, if you marry up to someone like that, they're the mature one. So anyway, you go into this thing and Carol is standing on a chair and she's pointing down here and she said, look at that. And I got a chance to be super stand. All right. I'm saying all of that, that sometimes we have to remember those horrible yesterdays while we're living in the glorious todays. So it goes on to say here. In the thirsty ground where there was no water. Now, here's what you want to underline. He brought water for you. So, in other words, God is large and in charge of all your basic needs of life. Put that in your margin. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. I'm so glad he did this because had not God brought them water out of this rock of Flint and just they found a puddle or they found a lake or they found a pool or they found a waterfall, they would say, hey, we found a puddle, we found a pool, we found a waterfall. That's that's what's out here. Hey, look what we got here. But when you get it out of something that no, no water should ever come out of a rock, and it wasn't just a rock rock, it was a flint rock, hard rock, that water came out. You had to know God did it. Then he said, in the wilderness emphasizing, he fed you manna, which your fathers didn't even know, and that he might humble you, and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. In other words, he taught you these things to strengthen you, to get you ready for the promised land. Verse 17, otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this way, wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. Underline that. It is he who gives you this. It is he who brought you water. It is he who fed you. It is he who's giving all these things, the basic needs of life, in this case, the power to make it, which means, watch carefully now, he gave the water, but they couldn't drink the water unless they came to the water. He gave the water, but they couldn't continue to drink unless they brought a bucket with them. So even though God provided, they still had to go to that. And so here he's saying, whatever you have, you have a job, God gave you the job. God gave you the knowledge to to get the job, to keep the job. He's given you these things, not that you sit down and you crawl to the mailbox and you open up a letter and there's a $100 bill in there for you. God says, you have all of this. I've given you the ability to do this, but it still comes from me. Number three, having money is not wrong in of itself. Having money is not wrong in of itself. It says, the Lord makes rich and poor Two of the three of the people in the Bible, in case you're going to go on that road to discover who they might be, Abraham, Job, and Solomon were all wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament. Number four, Christians must be willing and ready to part with their money if God requires so. Christians must be willing and ready to part with their money if God requires it to happen. 
I've given you that verse there. I love it. It says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. I mean, God is in control of what you have. But at the very end of it all, it's still, blessed be the name of the Lord. Number five, preferential treatment should not be given to those who are wealthy. Preferential treatment should not be given to those who are wealthy. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 opens it all up. You ought to read that. The backdrop of that starts in actually chapter 1 when the Jewish Christians, the first Jewish Christians were going out, they're being persecuted. It said it's better to be swift to hear and slow to speak. We use that a lot in relationships and marriages. I get that. But in the context, it's broader than that. You need to be swift to hear what God has to say. That's why it says to listen to him, but then it takes you to the next step, but don't be just a hearer of the word, you need to be a doer of the word, and to be a doer of the word, he then outlines how we're to do it, and he picks out this so that we will not become like the world when we're doing it, and then he chooses, watch this, watch this, one principle to start chapter 2 with, and that is how the Jewish Christians, by extension, you and me here in this room, how we are to treat those who are wealthy and those who are poor, and the first thing he does, he says, it's without showing partiality. Take care of those that are disenfranchised, the widows and the orphans, and then those that are disenfranchised. And you don't do it by puffing all those that have wealth. And that's his issue. He says, that's the evil thing, is by making a judgment. You're rich, you're poor. Now watch. Why? We often think rich people are better people, and poor people are less people. And so that's what the thought was. And so scripture says, no, no, because poor people can be very rich in faith, implying that, I mean, poor people can be very rich in faith, implying that, Rich people may not always be rich in faith. So beware of partial preferential treatment of those who are wealthy. Number six, those who have money should not be proud nor seek security or significance from it. Those who have money should not be proud because you didn't earn it. You did earn it, but God gave you the ability to do all of that, but it's all of him. Nor seek security. That means, in other words, don't count on that money always being there. I'm reminded of Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. You can write it down, look at it later. It talks about money that sometimes if we desire all of this, it can get wings and fly away. It reminds me of the Monopoly card when you play Monopoly about this guy with the mustache and he shows you the money that's got wings on it and it's flying away. It reminds me of that. So it means that you have it. God gave it to you. God can take it away. So don't look at your security merely being in your money. And then the other thought of that is, the fact that we don't get our significance from it doesn't make us any more important. Sometimes those that have less money are more important by their character than by their cash. Number seven, money must not be loved. And that means selfishly hoarded. Have you read the newspaper this last week? There was a hoarder on the mainland. This hoarder had so much stuff in their house that on the second floor, the floor gave way because of all the junk on the second floor and unfortunately killed the hoarder. I'm speaking to you of the person who was in God's mind before they were ever born, was given life, made choices. However that happened to become a hoarder, it is, and they lost their life. And so we have to be very careful about loving stuff and not the Lord and indulgently spend it. Number eight, the last point. Money and resources are to be used to help others. Money and resources are to be used to help others. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. This passage that I gave to you is kind of a dramatic first church illustration of it. When they, the church got started, when it got started, that meant that these people are new believers 
in a culture with a lot of Jewish people that when that was happening, Gentiles too, but mostly Jewish people, when that was happening, we noticed that these people then were dead to their Jewish families, which means they had no family for help, resources, or passing down cash because they're new Christians. They often would lose their job. They would be marginalized in the community, so there was those that were struggling. Unless they came in as a believer, or as an unbeliever, became a believer, and they already had money, and they didn't lose that money because they had to give it back, they then were there with property, and they then said, okay, our job now is to help others so that the church would become strong with the, watch this, basic needs of life. It wasn't socialism, it wasn't communism, it was just taking care of one another. Realizing that this money doesn't belong to me, I had it, I got saved, now God wants me to use it, so I'm going to use it to help other people. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the giving part, which is many weeks down the road. But just to, to let you know that this is a part of it. So... I hope that today that you understand the seriousness of what we have has come from the Lord, that we have to give an account of it, that what it is, it belongs to the Lord. It's not wrong to preach or speak on this, and that we need to lean into it for our own particular growth. Next week, here's what I'm going to speak on under God's mind on money. So if you have anybody you want them to come, this would be a good message. What I want to do is I want to answer the tension between two basic concepts. The first one is ambition versus laziness. How ambitious should we be? And what about laziness? I'm going to bring those two together because all that's a part of acquiring funds. Um, obviously, if you're not going to steal it, but what, what, how, how do we do it? How ambitious should we be to get out there and really get her done for getting more money? And then what about laziness? Because there are some people that do uh, have a propensity to be lazy. The other tension is going to be between greed and then contentment. And I'm going to show you where greed plays and where contentment plays, but how do you balance those two tensions between ambition and laziness, greed and contentment, and bring that all together so that when you approach your business, you're approaching it from a biblical point of view that as, as much as you might start in this thing with the right motives, later on it all of a sudden could be a monster that you're feeding and it can drag you in a direction you don't want to go. It doesn't mean get rid of your business, it just means to redirect your thinking. So I'm going to show you that. Some of you that are going to go into the ministry, you will have the idea that if I build a bigger building, I have to go into debt, but if I build a bigger building, people will come. Is that perhaps a little bit of overambition? Or is it just, nah, don't do anything, they'll come and get lazy is we don't do anything to reach people. So we're going to show you so that your kids will have the proper reason. Watch this, watch this. Why are they going to college? You know, is it to make a living or to make a life? And if they're going to make a... I know you have to make a living. I get, get all of that, but some people go beyond making a living. So we go from making a living to making a life. So help them to understand as they move forward the whole issue of money. And the scripture here is not a book to take away your fun. It's a book to show you how to really thrive more than just survive in a world that often revolves around money and resources. Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I know we're going to pray in just a moment here, but I, I want to give you a, a moment just to kind of reflect on why we're here today. If you go out of here just l learning more principles of money and knowing that all of a sudden Scripture speaks to that, and you even in your mind say, you know, I do need to engage in this. But if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, all the good teaching on money is for naught because when you die, you'll spend eternity separated from God if you don't trust Him as your Savior. And more important than just fire insurance from hell is a relationship with the Lord. Watch this now. That when you trust Christ as Savior, 
then it gives you the sustaining power and ability to understand what you're going to be taught from God's Word in the next uh, number of weeks, as well as the power to live out His Word, so then you can really experience a life with fulfillment and fruit now, no matter your financial um, profit and loss statement is. Because your heart is right, and you're handling your resources in a way that shows that you believe with all of your heart they're His resources and not yours. But it all starts at, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Some of you now are to a point where the Spirit of God has been working on you, and you look back over your life and you say, you know, I've really messed up. I've misused my money. In fact, I've used it for selfish ends. I've used it and it's hurt other people. I I've, 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 I've have a litany of broken relationships because I haven't done my funding right. I am so guilty. I don't want you to stay there. I want you to know that He wants to forgive you of all of that, and that's where your do-over comes. So what you do now is you come to him and you simply say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong in all areas of my life. And we all have. And so we come to him and we say, Lord, there's nothing that I can do to ever get my way into heaven. I can't be good to get in there. I can't buy my way in there. But I can believe my way in there. And remember, it's the object of your belief that gives you the forgiveness. If you believe in yourself, it won't work. If you believe in I'm going to rearrange my finances, that's not going to work to get into heaven. You have to believe that Jesus is the Lord, that He is God. He is the only God. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross and He rose again. You've got to believe that nothing you do yourself will ever get you into heaven. You have to believe it's not by believing in Christ and doing good works to stay saved. You're just believing that He is the Lord who died for you and you're putting your full confidence in Him when He says that He will forgive you of all sin and grant unto you eternal life in heaven and an eternal relationship and power to live this life. Not the power to live it so now you can be good enough to go to heaven. Just the power to do this life for his glory. So maybe say this to the Lord. Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I know I can't get to heaven by my good works. But I'm going to believe that you'll forgive me of all my sin. And for today, as I recall in my mind, the sin of the misuse of the resources I've had. And now, Lord, I want to thank you that you've given me this do-over and now I can do it and sustain it because I have your power. I have your relationship and a home in heaven. Now, however you want to put that in your own words, as long as you understand it's by faith alone in Christ and you are recognizing that and dealing with that with the Lord, then he says, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. I'd like to pray for you. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand won't get you into heaven any more than filling out a card, walking an aisle. But it does indicate to me that today was the day that you've received Christ as your Savior. And I'd like to pray for you. Now when I do, I won't mention your name in my prayer. Becoming a Christian is truly an inside job. It comes out later on because you just can't help it. You're so excited. Like Christmas, I got a new gift. You got to tell somebody. But you don't have to tell someone to get the gift. You got the gift. So if today is the day you're trusting Christ, you've never done it before, it's a once and forever Believe thing. And you'd like for me to pray for you with every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you slip up your hand if today's the day you're calling upon the Lord? All right, Christians, how many of you would like to have prayer because you understand the importance of this message and that you have the desire to know what God has to say and then the willingness to trust Him for the power to do what He tells you to do. And you'd like to have prayer as you engage God on understanding his finances for your life, for his glory. 
Would you like to have prayer as we enter into this series? Would you raise your hand? Anyone at all? God bless you. My hand is up too. I'm so excited for what we're going to learn together. Father, I come to you very humble and realizing that whatever I have and whatever I am and will be is all because of you, that you are the giver and the sustainer of all life. I come to you because you're so gracious and so merciful that, Father, you look at us, especially those who are now humbling themselves before you and saying, teach us, help us now to make the uh, mid-course corrections. Help us now to learn as, a, as a, a, a young person with money and perhaps the future of gaining more. And so, Lord, I thank you that you come into our lives with your word and you wrap your loving arms around us and you don't put us down and you help us sort all of this stuff out in a very complex world that changes almost by every law that is uh, enacted in a global market that's changing and so fluid by any activity or disease or war. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are the only constant one and that you revealed a word to us that never changes no matter the society, no matter the world conditions. And so we can stand upon this with confidence and hope. And Lord, thank you that you are our Father and we are child and you'll always be there to help us. So Father, we go into this series with joyful anticipation. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.